Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kelsey Bowler. The March for Life has just revealed their theme for the 49th March. Every year, the theme reveal is a big deal for the March for Life. There's a whole lead up to it. So I feel like we we might need a drum roll here. And the theme is... Equality begins in the womb. What do you guys think? I I think this is perfect. I feel like the March for Life does uh, does such a good job of capturing what is happening in in the country on a broader scale, and then saying, okay, how do we actually approach uh, you know the, the larger context socially of what's going on in the news, and how do we apply that uh, to to the world of, of life, to the pro life movement? So there's such there's such a, a need to be talking about. Uh, the value and the dignity of life and how it begins in the womb. And obviously equality is a huge topic right now. So I was I was pretty impressed by this theme. Uh, Kate Trinko, our editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal, is also on with us today. Kate, welcome back, but feel free to, to weigh in. Love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks for having me. Um, I also think it's great. I mean, I think equality is a value that the left loves to pretend that they own. Um, and unfortunately, while I wish that being pro-life was a value shared by the left and the right, it's mainly on the right right now. And I hope that this theme causes some earnest leftists to think about this issue and think, am I really on the side of equality here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kelsey, what do you think? I couldn't agree more. I love how it kind of flips the script on the narrative, kind of how we do here um, in embracing the term problematic women. So I am all for it and I look forward to seeing what they do with it. Yeah. Well, the Um, March is in, uh, it's in January. Actually, I should look up the date and find out the exact date so y'all can go ahead and mark your calendars. We will uh, keep you in the loop, but it is happening once again in Washington, D.C. All are welcome. So uh, consider consider planning a trip. I don't know if you need to look up the date, Virginia, because it's <laughs> guaranteed to be whatever the coldest day in January is <laughs> with the most miserable weather. Like what is optimally it's awful to true. march through? That'll be the day of the March for Life. Yes. Blizzard. Yeah. Anything. <laughs> Scary, slippery ice. <laughs> it's impressive how many people turn out in it's always horrible weather and they still come. Like, and wow. they're joyful. And they are. It's, I mean, I'm not joyful, but like other people <laughs> marching are joyful. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. All right. Well, Kelsey, go ahead and tell us what we have queued up on today's show. Yeah. So today we're discussing a new trend among some millennials, sterilization by choice. Many in our generation are not just not choosing to have kids, they are taking the extra step to ensure that they can't have kids. We also discussed remarks by former President Barack Obama claiming that parental concerns over what's happening in schools is, quote, fake outrage. I can tell you as a Loudoun County parent myself, I have some thoughts on that. (laughs) Plus, Twitter has suspended Republican Congressman Jim Bakes for tweeting that Rachel Levine is a man. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that we think are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are so often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. 
If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and encouraging others to subscribe. Your support really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. I came across an article earlier this week, and when I read the headline, it made me pause. It's a piece written by Susie Weiss on the Barry Weiss Common Sense Substack, and it's titled, First Comes Love, Then Comes Sterilization. Weiss begins by telling the story of 31-year-old Rachel Diamond. She lives in New York City, has 64,000 followers on TikTok, and considers herself a poster child for sterilization. Diamond decided she didn't want to have kids, as so many women are increasingly making that choice. But she took her decision a step further to ensure that she could never have kids, even if she wanted to. She had her fallopian tubes cut. The piece tells the story of three other women who either have been sterilized or who want to be sterilized. And as Weiss points out, data reflects the fact that more and more adults are making the choice to not have kids. In 2020, 25 states reported more deaths than births. Marriage rates are at an all-time low, and 56 out of every 100 millennials are unmarried. I think there are two uh, big questions that kind of have to address when talking about this issue. The first is kind of the, the so what question. Should I actually care that millennials aren't having kids? Is that just their choice to make? What is it to me? And then the second question, and I guess maybe the more important question here, is why? Why are so many adults today making the decision to not have kids? And should I be concerned about the reasons why they're choosing to not have kids and why some of them are going as far to be sterilized? What do you all think? Virginia, I think there are two very concerning aspects of the story. One, that sterilization is irreversible. And two, are the statistics we know that women are choosing to have children later in life. Uh, we know that fertility rates overall are down. I believe they're below the population replacement uh, rate, which spells major trouble for our future, um, both economic and social. Uh, but we know that just given today's society, more and more women are getting married later uh, and choosing to start families later, whether you support or oppose the interventions that they often have to rely on, whether IVF or something else like that. These are becoming more common and many women aren't waking up to the realization that they actually do want to be a mom until they're perhaps 40 years old. And so the fact that when you're 20 years old, you can choose to make a permanent decision to sterilize yourself uh, is really regrettable to me. Um, ultimately, it is their personal choice. Uh, but we also have to think about this story in the larger context where uh, we're learning actually through Barry Rice's reporting that sterilization is also happening to children in terms of uh, the treatments that transgender children are getting uh, that we're learning um, in many cases can permanently block their ability to conceive a child later in life. 
Uh, Kate, what are your thoughts? Well, the overwhelming feeling I thought reading the article, I I just felt such bleakness about Mm -hmm. it. And I was really struck by the sadness. And, um, you know, I don't want to armchair diagnose and I'm certainly not qualified (laughs) to. But it did occur to me as someone who spent a lot of time in therapy. um, I was like, have any of you explored any of this with the therapist? Do you have any mental health issues? Because some of these, um, you know, there was... I guess it was the Rachel Diamond woman. Um, There's a quote from the article that says, um, well, actually, I guess this was her talking to a therapist, a therapist who she found online a few months after graduation, who made her realize that being spanked as a child was deeply traumatic. And then it made her fear authority figures like her father. She decided that she never wanted to be one herself. Never, ever, never, ever, ever. Um, a lot of evers there. <laughs> never, ever. Yes, two evers. Sorry, I was reading. I was like, wait, how many evers is this? What, <laughs> she really this doesn't want used? to be a parent. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that struck me about that, and, you know, I mean, the article goes into more of her reasons, and that's certainly not all, but it was like, okay, that's, you know, uh, understandable, and that sounds like something that was traumatizing to her and that she's working on. But, you are not your dad Mm -hmm. and you are not your mom. And if your childhood wasn't perfect, and of course none of ours were, and you know, there's obviously a difference between parents who make mistakes as all do and parents who were genuinely abusive and didn't care. Um, But anyway, you can be a different person. You can break that cycle. And I'm just curious if there was any positive thinking among any of these women, um, you know, and Um, I think some of them had male partners about whether they could change the cycle if there were ways to avoid what they feared children would bring. But like the only answer, the only answer doesn't have to be just not having kids. Yeah. A part of me when I read that, Kate, was like, wow, she needs to get a new therapist. (laughs) Because that like that is part of of the role of therapist is to help us discover like, okay, why? Why do I have this issue? It's so often connected back to something in our childhood. But then step two is getting healing from that. And like you said, Kate, realizing, okay, I don't I don't have to be my parent. I don't have to repeat the past. I can have a fresh start. What's a healthy outlook? What's a healthy perspective here? Instead of just that's bad. I don't want to be associated with that. So I'm never going to do it. Um, that really concerns me. And I think it it gets at a larger, uh, almost like victim mentality ideology of, OK, I, you know, I was victimized, quote unquote, victimized by my parents. So I don't want to do that to someone else. And it just keeps you in in this perpetual state of always feeling like almost like you're on the defensive to life, which is really unhealthy. And uh, mm-hmm. I think summarizes like you said, the piece kind of makes you feel depressed because it is depressing. <laughs> well, and I think also they talked about climate change and um, I, I do not share their level of concern about climate change. But even if you accept their premise, again, I was wondering why the hopelessness? Like mm. maybe your kid is the next Greta Thunberg. I mean, that's not what I'm hoping for my children. But <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe you can live sustainably and only buy used clothing and used toys and not add. Maybe you all drive Priuses and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think and I realize some of those are luxuries um, that aren't accessible to all. But again, that sort of idea, not that. I want to raise my children in a climate-friendly way, but I just won't have them. But, Kelsey, I'm curious. um, You're the only mom here. What did you think about this, reading that from that perspective? Well, first off, I have to question if the climate change justification is real. 
Uh, I fear that's a facade, uh, sort of virtue signaling facade that a lot of these women use to justify deeper and probably sadder reasons they are choosing these permanent life decisions such as sterilization. I mean, do, do either of you know anybody who isn't having children because of climate change? I mean, that's a narrative I think the media loves right now. But I, this piece kind of gets to the heart of it. Like, there's probably some deeper um, reasons that women are making these irreversible decisions. And, you know, I, I feel like anything I have to say beyond that is cliche because of course becoming a mom has been the most meaningful and rewarding experience of my entire life uh for me personally it has become the center of my identity that doesn't have to be the case for every mother but uh you know it's it's challenging work but it is the most rewarding work um, and I, I truly believe it is a privilege to be a mother. I know um, that's not the case for every woman. And it just makes me sad that, uh, you know, if this is an increasing trend, that an increasing number of women at young ages are permanently closing themselves off to the opportunity to ever carry a biological child because, you just have to think, how much did you change from the years of high school to college, college to, you know, when you're 30 years old? We, we can't predict the future. You never knew, know who you're going to meet, uh, what life will bring your way. And it's just sad to, in my opinion, unnecessarily close that door. Yeah, I mean, the piece said that many surgeons, they actually won't, they won't sterilize young women because there are such high rates of of regret that down the road, women all of a sudden realize, wait a second, I I think I actually do want to have a child. And there's a part of me that's like, you know, if if someone decides, if a woman decides like, okay, my career is, I'm all in on that. I I don't want to have a kid. Okay. You've made that choice. But I, I think the the larger thing, and Kelsey, it really goes to the heart of what you said. We we are designed as humans to have something bigger than ourselves in our lives, and children are such a, a natural and, and beautiful part of that. That they're this uh, amazing thing that we we take part in creating, and we take part in in raising and instructing and. Uh, it's this beautiful way to um, to further to further life to further society, but it is something that's that's bigger than just us. And there's such emptiness if if all we're living for is you know having having a good time. And if if you're making the decision like okay, I don't want to have kids because you know they're going to be a bother. They're going to uh, you know stunt my. Um, my free time and and my finances and like there's obviously so many factors in deciding to have a child, but at the end of the day, uh, happiness and and joy so often flows from a place of of when we do have something that's not focused on ourselves, central in our life. All right. So one of the other points that I wanted to raise that that Weiss raises in this piece is that for so long women have thought, okay, how do I do it all? How do I have the job? How do I have the kids? And now we've actually gotten to a point where women are asking 
uh, not how do I do it all, but why do it all. And there's a part of me that's uh, really empathetic to that. It makes me think, yeah, have has radical feminism pushed women to a point of burnout? Have we just demanded too much of women to think that they can, you know, have children, have a career, be the primary, uh, you know, um, child caregivers, primary ones cooking meals, cleaning the house. And now are, are women just getting to a point where they're saying, okay, if I'm going to have to choose, uh, I'm going to choose to eliminate kids. And it, should we should we be blaming radical feminism for this? Yeah, I'm a big believer in the idea that women can have it all, but not at the same time. I'm a perfect example of that. Uh, after becoming a mom, uh, <laughs> nobody knows better than, than you guys, but I uh, decided to take a step back from work and, um, you know, change my day-to-day life so I wasn't physically leaving my daughter for an office all day. And that comes with its own set of sacrifices in terms of my professional career. But I view my career as uh, a a long-term game, not a short-term one. And in the short term, uh, there's nothing more important than motherhood. And I think we need to uh, I, I think all the left feminist narratives, gender pay gap and so forth feed into this idea that uh, you know, women are unequal. <laughs> we're, we're victims uh, because we can't have it all at the same time. When again, I think becoming a mother is such a privilege. It comes with its own set of sacrifices, but it also comes with its own rewards that I honestly wish as a mother, everybody could experience. And you know, Kelsey, um, you say you took a step back and I'm sure you did in some ways, but I know that for me, I'm just always impressed by how much you produce mm-hmm. while being a mom. And that goes for so many other, you know, women on the right and the left that, you know, have a lot of children, but still do so much excellent work. Um, I think burnout is a very real factor. Um, and I, I, I like what you say, Kelsey, about like you can have it all, but not all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would certainly like to see corporate America get a little bit more open-minded about part-time work in certain roles, about work from home, um, being a bit more of an option, and maybe COVID has ushered that in. I also think that, you know, there's a lot of women who are concerned that if they step out of the workforce entirely for, you know, 10 years or so, raise the kids when they're little, then go back maybe part-time when they're at school or something, um, assuming there's a decent school to send them to. <laughs> but, you know, often in a corporate setting, people see that you've been out of the workforce for 10 years and that raises red flags. And I would love to see it become a bit more normalized um, to take those sort of steps. And maybe there being, you know, community college courses or easier ways for women who have been out of the workforce for 10 years to catch up or, you know, learn whatever the new technology is that they need. Um, I I think there's ways that our culture could make it easier for women. Yeah. Well, and to quote, um, well, not Direct quote, but uh, Mrs. James, the president of the Heritage Foundation, she talks about this because she was out of the workforce for, I think, about 10 years when she was raising kids. And her piece of advice for young women is if if you write well and if you can articulate ideas well, if you're good at speaking, there's always going to be a place for you in the workforce. Uh, I think so far that's been true. Hopefully uh, technology does not uh, does not eliminate that factor and that remains true. Um, but I think she makes a good point that, you know, it 
we are hopefully uh, in in a day and age in society where there are still those roles uh, for women to come back into the workforce and have jobs, especially, I guess, right now it's a, it's a great time if anyone wants to come back into the workforce. There's lots of jobs available. <laughs> but uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about an issue that uh, is going to be of particular interest to all of our listeners who do have kids. So former President Barack Obama made claims over the weekend that parent concerns over what is happening in schools is just, quote unquote, fake outrage. But before we get to that conversation, I want to ask you all a quick question. Do you need a job? If yes, then you need to sign up for the Heritage Foundation Job Bank. Speaking of jobs, the Heritage Job Bank connects conservatives of all career levels to jobs with conservative employers all over the country, and it's free. If you sign up with Job Bank, we'll send you new job openings every week and invite you to their virtual job fairs and career seminars. The Job Bank team also offers one-on-one career consultations. Signing up is super easy. Just visit heritage.org slash job bank and then click on register today. So over the weekend, former President Barack Obama dismissed conservative media and Virginia parents as peddling, quote, fake outrage over a string of recent scandals involving the state's public schools. Here's what he said. We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped up culture wars, this fake outrage that that right wing media peddles to juice their ratings. And the fact that he's willing to go along with it instead of talking about serious problems that actually affect serious people, that's a shame. That's not what this election's about. That's not what you need, Virginia. Instead of forcing our communities to cut back at a time when we're just starting to recover, we should be doing more to support people who are educating our kids and keeping our neighborhoods safe. These remarks came on the heels of multiple controversies involving Virginia public schools, including but not limited to a high school freshman being sodomized in the school bathroom by a skirt wearing male student in a gender fluid bathroom. I want to note that we don't even have to say allegedly sexually assaulted anymore because just this week a judge ruled that student guilty. Uh, They also involve a cover-up by the school board of that scandal whose superintendent lied about the incident while the board was trying to pass a new transgender policy. Uh, The student was then transferred to another school where he allegedly committed a second sexual assault less than five months later. Other scandals involve child porn that you can find inside these public school libraries and shocking Alexandria school violence where we've seen videos of students uh, beating up, stomping on uh, other fellow students and adults. It's truly shocking. Uh, And so (laughs) these controversies certainly are not made up. Uh, They are very real. They were real enough to trigger the resignation of a Loudoun County school board member, uh, an investigation by uh, the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office, um, and even an admission by the Loudoun County Superintendent Scott Ziegler that they, quote, failed to provide, unquote, a safe, welcoming, and affirming environment. 
They've also been enough to cause an enrollment in Fairfax County's public schools, which in 2019 were some of the most sought after schools in the entire country to fall by more than 10,000 students since the start of the COVID lockdowns. And most recently, these scandals were explicit enough to be banned from being aired on TV. So listen to this. I'm sure you guys have seen uh, read stories of uh, mothers finding books in public school libraries and bringing those books to the school board to complain about the profanity inside. Uh, Independent Women's Voice, uh, my organization, we produced a TV as advertisement exposing some of this content with the goal of raising awareness about the material being made available to young teenagers in school. Well, the content that we found inside these books was so inappropriate, it was deemed, uh, it, it, it was not allowed to be aired on TV in Virginia during the 11 p.m. hour, which tells us <laughs> that this content is too appropriate for adults to view on TV at 11 p.m., but it's somehow appropriate for children and teenagers to view in public school libraries. Clearly a problematic double standard happening here. Um, and all the, all this is to say, um, I was extremely disappointed by our former president's comments dismissing the outrage that so many parents are feeling and expressing right now over the physical safety of their children and the types of content they are being exposed to in public schools. So I know I'm the only one with a, um, a daughter in this conversation, but um, living also living in Loudoun County, these, uh, these scandals are very real to me. Um, they're happening right in my own backyard. And I'm just wondering, like, what, what is your take on our former president, who mm-hmm. is a father, just so callously dismissing them? Yeah, the thing that first came to mind to me is, aren't you supposed to be against gaslighting if you're woke like Obama? (laughs) And, you know, gaslighting, for those who are not familiar, it's, you know, a term used that um, often towards women when you're saying something isn't true that is and trying to confuse them and manipulate them. And it's like, well, (laughs) yeah, as you just so nicely laid out, Kelsey, there is a lot to be outraged about. And the other thing that made me so angry about President Obama's remarks is... And to be fair, I didn't hear the whole speech, so maybe there's a chance he addressed this and I missed it. But I was like, this is such a cowardly way. If you think that children should be exposed to this porn in high school, defend it. If you think that, you know, it's more important for children who identify as transgender to have access to single sex bathrooms without necessarily like even certain steps being taken, such as hormonal changes or like a therapist note or something. Like if you just think that any day a kid can wake up and say, I identify as this gender and go to the opposite bathroom. Well, have the guts to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just think that there are very real issues here that affect people, not just conservatives, and that deserve serious debate and discussion. And it was just infuriating to just see Obama dismiss it so cavalierly. And he used language that I think you know, some of what he said, it's like, oh, yeah, like we should be providing an environment where, uh, you know, where teachers can teach kids and you know have the resources that they need. 
But he failed to address any of the real concerns, Kate, like you said, that parents are bringing up right now. I On Wednesday morning, I was at a rally with moms outside the National School Boards Association headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. And these these are moms who they're very upset at what is happening uh, by the materials that their kids are being exposed to in in the classrooms. Kelsey, one of the moms referred to that situation that you referred to that, uh, you know, these (laughs) these books are so extreme that, uh, you know, things are, are being bleeped out, that they can't even put this content out on TV so uh, we're we're really at a tipping point, I feel like, right now. And the, the thing that I'm encouraged by is that parents are not going quiet. I think sometimes you, we have these moments where people get upset and there's a situation and they get outraged. This isn't dying down. If, if anything, the frustration among moms and dads is growing and I, I think we are, maybe I'm an optimist, but I think we are going to see positive change within public education as a result of what is happening right now. You guys, I just have to say <laughs> the content that we found inside one of these books called Gender Queer that's available in uh, some Virginia school libraries was so grotesque. I I can't even use the language on this podcast to describe what some of it is. I did. I want to know. <laughs> part of me wants to say it because I think it's important for everybody to hear the truth. Um, but it is it is just disgusting. Quite frankly, I will say I did tweet pictures of it. Uh, some of them without. Some of them blurred. Some of them not blurred. Um, and it's it's been really interesting the responses I've I've got from parents. Very few, if any, are defending this content uh, being made available to children. Um, but I, I think it is kind of a wake up call to not just hear these stories, but see the visuals. Uh, for themselves, because one of these is basically a comic book about a gender queer individual um, exploring. Uh, their body and different types of sexual acts. So (laughs) that's just like one example of everything wrong about this situation. And I also want to note, it's not just parents at this point who are speaking out and protesting. Uh, Just this week, we saw a bunch of Loudoun County students stage a walkout over the sexual sexual assault scandal. Uh, They're very clearly telling school administrators, we we don't feel safe. You're not keeping us safe here. And, you know, over in Alexandria, the city district voted to remove student resource officers from school grounds and replace them with mental health professionals. And it is since doing that, that we've seen these viral videos of students stomping on one another. It's, it's just awful. And to me as a parent, if a a school's most basic sacred duty is to protect the physical safety of children, I am outraged by critical race theory and the politicization of the content of being taught inside public schools. But if these public schools can't even keep our children physically safe, What does that tell us as parents? We have to respond. And for our former president, also a father, to accuse us of false outrage in light of these situations is just awful, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and I, I did get a chance to look at some of your tweets. I almost wish I hadn't seen them. But, <laughs> uh, yes, it's quite vivid imagery. But, I mean, I was also thinking, again, about how hard so many parents are working with porn available so easily online. And, you know, whether you come from a religious background or not, I mean, we know that when children are exposed to certain concepts and certain imagery affects their sexual development. And that has ramifications for their whole life. And that just really doesn't seem like something that a school should be deciding, you know, to make available. That's really something that should be up to parents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how tragic in a place where students are supposed to be protected, uh, that that is where they're most at risk to be exposed to these uh, these really, really uh, troubling ideas and essentially to pornography. Yeah. For anybody listening who does want to see that, which I regrettably encourage you to look at them, <laughs> you can go to talk, toxicschools.org or you can go to my Twitter feed at Kelsey Bowler where, again, I very regrettably <laughs> yeah, they are, they are kind of intense, but, you know, Kelsey, thanks for sharing, though. I think it's important for people to be aware. Well, because uh, because Lauren is not with us today, there are no TikTok stories. Yay! <laughs> Much to Kate's delight. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> but we have to work in some social media conversations. So uh, we're going to chat about a, a Twitter story. The multi-billion dollar company, they are still censoring people. And uh, this time they have come for a conservative congressman. Last week, Rachel Levine, a biological male who identifies as a female, was sworn in as an admiral of the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps. The Biden administration and a number of corporate media outlets celebrated Levine as being the first female four-star admiral in the history of the Health Services Commission Corps. So in response to Levine's appointment, Republican Representative Jim Banks of Indiana tweeted, the title of first female four-star officer gets taken by a man. Twitter swiftly flagged the tweet as hateful conduct, and then they suspended Banks' official account. So now it seems like Representative Banks really only has two options. He can either delete the tweet, and then Twitter will reinstate his official account, or he can refuse to take the tweet down, in which case, uh, at least as of right now, he's permanently locked out of that account, and if he doesn't take it down, runs the risk of, of never again gaining access to his formal account. Now, he, he does still have his personal Twitter account, and on Saturday he wrote, Big Tech doesn't have to agree with me, but they shouldn't be able to cancel me. Levine uh, is the sixth four-star admirable in the history of, of the Health Corps, the U.S. Public Health Services Commission Corps is an arm of the federal government. It has a force of about 6,000 people that are responsible for responding to health crises across the nation. And so the question really is, was there, there's two there's two really issues here. First off, <laughs> I, I think we have to talk about was was this action was appointing Levine just political was this all uh, either kind of a, a poking, poking the conservative bear to get them upset, and and they knew, okay, you know, we're gonna get we're gonna get great reactions from conservatives. We'll be so upset that a biological man is being appointed to this position, and we'll hail Levine as the first woman to hold this position. Was it political in the sense of they're trying to gain more support from the transgender community? 
Uh, and then, of course, we have the whole <laughs> we have the whole Twitter censorship issue. But what do you all think? Is was this was this strictly political? You know, honestly, I don't know. And I, I mean, I think, of course, there's points on, you know, among leftist Twitters for, you know, the first transgender person, I assume, to have this appointment. But for all I know, I'm not an expert in health crises or public mm-hmm. health. Levine may be perfectly well qualified and this might be a normal thing. I'm more upset over Twitter's actions. Yeah. Well, Kate, I want to note on that front that... Levine formerly served in Pennsylvania as Secretary of Health during the COVID pandemic. And Levine faced a similar scandal as the one that played it out in New York regarding the nursing homes. Uh, Levine pulled uh, his, her, whatever, mother out from a nursing home. Um, and yet uh, the state had um, thousands of nursing home deaths and its own scandal in that regard to deal with. So is this individual qualified for this position? I think there, I, I can't make a judgment on that, but I think there's a lot of people uh, who would question that based on uh, Levine's actions and track record during handling the COVID pandemic uh, in Pennsylvania. I also want to note that I had heard uh, via Megyn Kelly's podcast that Levine celebrated herself as the first female to take this position. And that really bothers me. I look, I if if Levine wants to celebrate and be celebrated as the first Mm -hmm. transgender woman to take on this position. Exactly. Go for it. You know, what, what do I care but don't take away that honor from a biological woman who has actually lived her entire life as a woman when Levine has lived the majority of their life as a male, which means going through med school as a male. You know, we know that 30 years ago, it was a lot harder to go to med school and achieve these types of accomplishments as a female. But Levine didn't do it as a female. Levine did it as a male. And yet now she wants she she (laughs) wants to claim um, that, you know, they they are accomplishing this historic first. I think Levine is doing so at the expense of biological women. Mm-hmm. That was the exact issue, Kelsey, that I had with it is, OK, if, if Levine wants to celebrate, if corporate media wants to celebrate the fact that Levine is the first transgender individual to hold this office, OK, go for it. Have your field day. But do not take that honor from a woman. I, I, I think the thing I, I think that's interesting that you guys both hit on that, because I think that sort of it's been a while since I've read J.K. Rowling's infamous letter. Um, you know, about being a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. <laughs> but um, I believe the <laughs> distinction she was trying to make, and Rowling is certainly more liberal on the transgender issue than I am, but it was like, yeah, fine, be the first or be a transgender woman, but don't pretend that that's exactly the same as being a woman from birth. Um, and that seems like it's something unacceptable. But I think it just really scares me that Twitter won't let you say this. And You know, I I think what Representative Banks tweeted was true. I think, you know, this is a huge issue and this is the debate. Can you change your gender? And it's something that the left wants to pretend is settled science. But the biological reality is even with um, 
you know, genitalia surgery, even with hormones. Um, we ran an op-ed in the Daily Signal a while back by two doctors who looked at, you know, there's a lot of things, even with intervention as a child, that can't be fully affected. You might present as less masculine or less feminine. Um, you might no longer have certain body parts, but our gender is all over our body in lots of hidden ways. And... Um, and not so hidden. <laughs> right. And not so hidden. But I mean, even I guess if you physically are able to, you know, manipulate your appearance to the point that you appear the opposite gender of which mm-hmm. you were born, does that actually make you that gender? That's a question that has huge theological, philosophical. <laughs> uh, there, There's a lot at stake there. And Twitter is essentially saying that it's hate speech to say that. And, you know, I know that this is a bit of a cliche example at this point. But, you know, what if Rachel Dolezal, you know, was on Twitter and it was like, well, it's hate speech to say she's not African-American. And she was, if you're not engaged in the culture wars around 2015, (laughs) the woman who was heading a chapter of the NAACP and identifying as black. And then they discovered that she was white. Um, And I think that there's a reason that most of us view that with distaste, that we wouldn't uh, appropriate someone else's race. And yet appropriating gender is something that not only is okay. Okay, saying it's not okay will get you kicked off a major platform. Mm-hmm. And that is not a good way to discuss it. And I don't think it's, you know, I would be curious. The transgender community and the LGBT community are small. So polling is tricky, but I would love to know how many of them are actually in favor of Twitter's actions on this. I wonder how many of them are having discussions like this with friends and family and they may vehemently disagree um, but I don't think it's going to help our culture if you literally can't even have these conversations. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more, but, um, you know, what you see on Twitter isn't real. It's dominated by the loudest and most extreme voices on the left. We're also seeing a similar situation play out in response to the Dave Chappelle special. Um, and I agree. It's it's extremely concerning. It shows the manipulation that's happening behind the scenes. Uh, people like all of us and those listening know this is happening, this extent of tech censorship. But the majority of my friends, people I interact with on a day to day, don't aren't aware of the level of censorship and manipulation happening via big tech. And it really does have an impact on our ability to have these conversations and acknowledge basic facts. Well, now Representative Banks is really he's stuck between a rock and a hard place as far as what to do, whether to to pull this tweet down or to stand his ground and leave it up. We'll certainly keep you all posted on that. I I think it's it's interesting, though, and maybe slightly humorous in a satirical way that, you know, the the epitome now almost of um, of uh, an insult is uh, is calling someone a man who doesn't want to be called a man, that there's so much. Tragically, there's so much online bullying that takes place, and we know that people are called horrible names on Twitter, and often that does not get flagged, and yet uh, someone who was born a man being called a man is considered so offensive that it's getting someone, uh, a lawmaker no less, kicked off the platform. Just a wild world. I've said this before on the podcast, but it really is stuff that's just like, man, if we told our grandparents this, they wouldn't believe us. Just uh, really wild hell. Our world has changed very, very quickly. But stay with us because up next, we are crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week.
Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about a great way you can stay in the know on all the news The Daily Signal covers. Social media. The Daily Signal has an active presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are constantly posting news stories, clips from interviews, videos, and more across all our social platforms. Follow The Daily Signal on social media so you can get all the latest content from reels on Instagram to video clips on Facebook and political commentary on Twitter. All right, it is time once again to crown our problematic woman of the week. And this week it goes to... Megan McCain. The former The View host is out with a new audiobook called Bad Republican. I personally breezed through the listen in just two days and was really struck by her honesty and vulnerability. Uh, you know, sometimes these high profile books come off as inauthentic, but Megan was very real. Uh, she didn't hold back in documenting her mistreatment at The View and sharing her views on how she thinks conservative women are treated unfairly, uh, generally, by the media and our entire culture. Uh, she even went so far as to refer to conservative women, including herself, as problematic, which, of course, we, we know <laughs> that we are. <laughs> I know, you know, uh, in the conservative space, not everybody agrees with Meghan McCain and her views, but I personally have a lot of respect for the way she walked the line during her time at The View. Being a voice for Trump supporters and standing up for them, while also personally opposing him, much in part because of the way the former president personally attacked her dad. I, I think I'd be pretty offended by those attacks as well. So we want to give Meghan McCain a huge shout out for uh, being such a strong and powerful voice on the right and for helping to stand up for all of us. Uh, you know, I, I especially think. Any female in the conservative media space will appreciate uh, her audiobook, Bad Republican. They should give it a listen. Um, she has some good advice. She also talks about becoming a mom, which is just a beautiful but also heartbreaking story. She did not have it easy. And, you know, I, I think you, you really would enjoy listening to it. Again, it's called Bad Republican. And, uh, yeah, shout out to Megan McCain for being such a proud, problematic woman. It's on my list, Kelsey. Thanks so much for raising that. I watched the trailer for, for the audiobook last night. I was like, oh, this is really, really interesting. And like you said, it's like I, I don't agree uh, with Megan McCain on everything, but I do appreciate her her willingness to speak truth, to, to share her, her views, her opinions, her beliefs, no matter whether she is among those on the left or the right. It, it's refreshing to see that authenticity. So congrats to Megan McCain. Not an easy job. Definitely not. Well, and Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. We so appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. And most of all, thanks for not talking about TikTok. <laughs> yeah, no no promises going forward. <laughs> I am with you guys on that. I have resisted joining TikTok proudly. <laughs> oh my gosh, Lauren is going to be so mad when she hears this. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. In the meantime, please take a moment to subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate that five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
It really does make a difference to this show. Have a great rest of your week and we'll see you all next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.